The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're in this series looking at the church and... um, uh, we got the title, if you're new here and, and haven't been kind of following along, we got the title of this series from a sermon uh, preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the 1800s. He's a London Baptist preacher. And uh, he said, still imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us, to those who are believers, right? That uh, even though the church is not a place, but a people, it's the dearest people, the dearest place to us, because we understand um, that the church in every age, every church in every age has been imperfect because every church in every age has been filled with uh, imperfect people. Um, and yet, God has chosen his church as his plan A, right? The church, um, i got my stuff rearranged here. The church exists in the world for God's glory. That's crazy. That, that, that God calls us together as his people to display something of his nature, his character, his perfection, his beauty, his glory to the world. That God strengthens us by his spirit. He calls us together and strengthens us by his spirit. He empowers us with his love and calls us to love one another to such a degree that the watching world would look at us and go, Jesus must be there. And as I mentioned last week, God's love is never meant to terminate on us. We're not called to be the Dead Sea, where we enjoy the resources, the blessings of God, but never let them flow out of us. No, we're called to be more like a river, a raging river, right? A rushing river where uh, we enjoy what God has blessed us with, but it flows out of us to others. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to the presence of the church, we want to try to get our arms around that question. What are we to do out there? Like, what, what's our calling to the rest of the world? What does it look like for us to be the church in the world? There's a lot of places I could have gone, uh, but the Lord led me to Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible open, uh, I'm going to read the first 12 or so verses of Luke chapter 10. I'll pray for us, and then we will get going here. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for these men and women 
I'm grateful for the opportunity to open your word and to have you speak to us. And so I pray that you'd help us, whatever, um, whatever we have brought in these doors, that we could um, lay it down for these few moments and focus our hearts and minds on your word and what you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would strengthen me and empower me as I preach this word, that it, I would rightly divide it and that uh, your people would, would hear from you this morning, that, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged, and more than anything, that we would see with fresh eyes the beauty, the glory of the Lord Jesus, and that we would cling to him with greater fervency, even if we have not much to cling to him with, that we would cling to Jesus with everything that we have. And so help me, Holy Spirit, to rightly divide this word for the benefit of these people. And um, would you minister to us and minister through us to our larger community for your glory and for our good and the good of those whom we will interact with. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and give you my three observations, three points here at the beginning, and then I'll come back to them. Um, I keep forgetting to give them to you during the sermon, so I'm going to just give them to you now. Um, what kind of presence are we called to be? We're called to be a faithful presence, a peaceful presence, and then finally a fruitful presence. We'll look at these in series here. Faithful presence, peaceful presence, and then a fruitful presence. So look back with me at verses 1 through 3. After this, what is this? Um, this is Jesus teaching about the kingdom. He calls people to follow him, and then he says to them, I want you to go and proclaim the kingdom. Okay, that's what chapter nine is about. People come to him, he calls them to him, and they give all kinds of excuses why they can't join his mission. He goes, no, no, no. If you're gonna follow me, lay down everything else, follow me, and then go and proclaim the kingdom. And Jesus has now set his heart, his mind, his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to go. He's going to die for us as our substitute, as our savior. And so his teaching ministry is in a sense sort of over, and he's now heading towards Jerusalem where he's going to be our savior. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and said to them, sent them, excuse me, on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Real cheery ending there, huh? A faithful presence. Um, so Jesus has sent them. Notice four times in these three verses, four times, Jesus uses sending language, right? He says, he sent them. He says, pray to the Lord to send out. He says to them, go, and then he says, finally, I am sending you. We're a sent people. Uh, in chapter 9, Jesus called his 12 apostles, and he sent them out, right? He sent out the 12 apostles to, to proclaim his kingdom and to heal. And now, it's not just the 12, but he's gathered 72 others to go do the same. He's gathered, gathered these 72, and he sends them. Now, who are these 72? They're just everyday, ordinary people like you and me. See, lest we think that, that mission is just for uh, the leaders, lest we think that mission is just for apostle types or for pastors or for professional Christians, he says, no, 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 no. I'm calling these 72 everyday ordinary people and I'm sending them as well. These are people who have been saved by Jesus like you and me. And they're people who have been sent by Jesus into the world just like you and me. In other words, everyone who belongs to Jesus has been given the same mission by Jesus. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, will we be faithful 
to the Lord in that, in his sending. He gathers 72 and he sends them two by two. All right, so math majors, 72 divided by two. How many different places are they going? 36, yeah, okay, the nine really struggle with that one. Pray for them. Uh, 36, 36 different towns and locations and villages that they're going, and he sends them in pairs as, as, by twos, okay? Can two people, can only two people really affect a town, a village, a neighborhood? Jesus seems to think so. So he sends them in pairs. And if two can affect an entire town or village or neighborhood, what about a whole community group? There's like 27 people on the roster for my community group. One more and we'll send them out two by two. Uh, what about a whole church? What about a church of hundreds? What kind of effect could we have if we embrace the mission of God together? He says here, the harvest is plentiful. He's using agricultural language to talk about the fact that there are people out there, there are souls out in this world who will respond to the message of the gospel and who will enter the kingdom of God. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are all kinds of people outside the four walls of this church who, upon hearing the message of Jesus, will respond to it and will come into the kingdom. But what does he say? The laborers are few. And so what does he pray for? What's he pray for, class? No one wants to answer the question. Laborers, right? Now, listen, I didn't notice this until this week. I've, I've studied this passage before. I've preached this passage before. I've heard this passage preached before. And most of the commentators say the same thing. And I, I'm going to disagree with them. I might be wrong, but here's something I noticed. He doesn't actually pray. He doesn't tell them to pray for more laborers. Do you notice that? There's nothing in the, in the language. There's nothing in the grammatical structure of the passage that actually says, hey, I want you to pray that God would send more laborers. What is he actually asking them to pray for? That, what's that? Yeah, that the laborers would actually labor. He's saying the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and this is not a DOT project, okay? No offense if you work for the DOT, but listen, I travel 26 every day. And if every DOT worker was actually working, we'd have 26 done by now, okay? I don't know why it takes four guys to hold up a shovel, but apparently it does. Tax dollars at work, okay? The, the kingdom of God is not a DOT project, okay? Everyone has a part to play. Everyone gets to work. Everyone is empowered and sent out on mission. Are we going to embrace the mission of God for us? Are we going to embrace our sentness by Jesus? Now, you might ask, why, why go? Why embrace the sending of God? Well, two reasons, I think at least two. Number one, Jesus is our king. And whatever he says, we do. Because he has all authority. All authority has been on he in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And then what, what did he say right after that in Matthew 28? So go. He didn't say where to go. He just said go. And whatever he says, we do because he's our king. All authority on he in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. But secondly, why should we go? Because Jesus went for us. Jesus was sent for us. He left the glories of heaven. He took on flesh and blood. Jesus became one of us. In all of our weakness, and all of our frailty, Jesus experienced life 
as a human, fully God, but fully man, with all of the temptations and all the joys that it is to be human, Jesus experienced that, but he was without sin. Jesus fulfilled every righteous requirement of God's law on our behalf because we could not. And then he went to the cross. And in going to the cross, Jesus gave up his life for ours. He was our substitute in life and in death. 2 Corinthians 5 says of Jesus that he who knew no sin became embodied sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you just spent a little bit of time meditating on that one verse, it would blow your mind. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So he was crucified, buried, and then on the third day he rose again conquering sin, death, and hell for us so that any of us who would receive with empty hands the finished work of Jesus for us and his life, death, and resurrection can be forgiven of sin, past, present, and future. All of our sin covered. We can be credited with the righteousness of Jesus. We can be freed from the bondage that we walk in. We can be adopted into the family of God and given the, 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 the ability, the right to be called the children of God. But with that adoption, with that being welcomed into the family, also comes a commissioning. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He sends us, and so we go. We embrace the sentness of Jesus, and we follow him wherever he leads us. But here he says, look at verse 3 again, behold, go, go your way, behold, I am sending you out as Lambs in the midst of wolves. I've watched enough Nat Geo to know that ain't good. <laughs> Maybe that's why he said go two by two, because you know it's always the one little straggling lamb that gets eaten, right? I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, a little context here. Uh, Jesus, as he's been teaching, is in Galilee, okay, to the north. Um, he has now set his face towards Jerusalem, and that's where he's headed next. So that's to the south. And there's this little spot in between that he doesn't have to go through, but he's going to choose to go through in order to get from Galilee to Jerusalem. You know what it's called? Samaria. And the Samaritans and, and the Jews hated each other. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds and unclean, and the, the Samaritans resented the Jews for the way they treated him. And so he's essentially, Jesus is commissioning these 72 and sending them into hostile territory as lambs among wolves. Okay. Now, do you think there are any people outside the four walls of this church who would be a little bit hostile to the gospel? Okay. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying they're all wolves. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is hostility, right? And so Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. What does that even mean to be lambs among wolves? I think it means a couple things. First of all, I think it means we're sent with a lot of courage. It takes courage to be a tasty lamb who goes out amidst the wolves, right? Why do we have courage? We have courage because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. So you're going to go out there, but guess what? There's some wolves out there that are going to become lambs. They're going to hear about Jesus, and they're going to respond to him. The, in fact, the, the promise is so secure, right? The harvest is so plentiful that in Revelation chapter 7, 
the picture we get of heaven is that around the throne of God are people from every nation and language and tribe. That's how plentiful the harvest is. So we go with courage. But to go out as lambs among wolves also means we go with gentleness, doesn't it? Like, okay, if you, if you heard there was a, a wild wolf in your neighborhood, like on your little neighborhood app, you know, and it's like, oh, there's a wild wolf loose, you'd stay inside. But if you heard there was a wild lamb loose in your neighborhood, you would all go out to see it. <laughs> Some of you would want to go try to pet it, right? There's no such thing as a fierce lamb. No one's been attacked by a lamb. We go out with gentleness. We go out um, in vulnerability. And we go out in dependence. You see that the sheep, the lambs, are dependent on the shepherd. So a couple questions before we move on. Um, see, the kingdom doesn't come by force. It comes by grace. That's why we're gentle. That's why we're dependent. That's why we're humble. That's why we're vulnerable. Um, have you experienced for yourself the grace of Jesus? Do you remember whether it was a moment in time or a series of events that led you to, with empty hands, receiving the finished work of Christ for you, his life, his death, his resurrection, being saved from sin, welcomed into the family of God? Do you, have you embraced the grace of Christ for yourself? Secondly, do you see yourself as sent? Do you understand that you're not just called into the family of God, but you're sent back out from the family of God into the harvest as laborers so that others might be welcomed into his family as well? This isn't just for a few. This is for all of us. Will we be faithful to the sending of God? Will we be a faithful presence in the world as a church? Okay. Now, secondly, let's look at the peaceful, a peaceful presence. We're called to be a peaceful presence. Look at verse 3 again. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So there's my proof text for not doing door-to-door evangelism right there, verse 7. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so there's a lot of weird stuff that's contextual, specific to this uh, time and place in verses 3 to 7. But, but I, I want you to see this. Jesus says, go, right? Behold, go your way, your way, to whatever region, to whatever community, to whatever neighborhood he has sent you. Go there, okay? And essentially, all he's saying here is, He's not saying, you know, don't carry your wallet and go barefoot. And that's not, that's not the point. Um, what he's after is dependence here. Don't worry about how you're going to provide for yourself or, or whether your shoes are going to wear out. Just go. Just do what I told you to go. And I know this because at the end of Luke, uh, around chapter 22, I think it is, Jesus says to the same disciples, he goes, hey, remember when I sent you out with no money bag and no knapsack and no sandals. And they go, yeah, we remember that. And he goes, um, did you lack anything when you went? And they said, nothing. We lacked nothing. Why? Because God provided everything that they needed. Okay. So we go independence. We, when we go, wherever we go, maybe not knowing who we're going to talk to that day or, you know, like you might go, 
I don't know, you might go in your neighborhood on a walk and you're praying on the walk. Like, Lord, maybe there's somebody in my neighborhood I can cross paths with. I don't know who they're going to be, but I'm going because you sent me, right? We're demonstrating otherworldly trust in the Lord to provide and to lead. That's all he's talking about. And then he says, wherever you go, whatever house you enter, true or false, entering a house requires an invitation. <laughs> yeah, unless you want to be on the news, right? You, you okay, um, this is probably 10 years ago. My, my family, we had some neighbor friends that we went trick-or-treating with, and all our kids were little. So you go in the daylight when you have little kids, right? First house we go to, knock on the door, and instead of saying trick-or-treat, the lady opens the door, and this one kid is with us, just walks in their house. <laughs> We're like, whoa, back it up. Here's what you do. You go trick-or-treat, and they give you candy, and it's weird, but it's kind of fun. Um, we went to another house on that same trip, uh, knocked on the door, and uh, of course, it was daylight, right? Like, they weren't ready for us, and the guy opens the door, and he's like, oh, no, my wife just went to get candy. Hold on. Let me see what I have. He goes to the kitchen, and he comes back, and I, this is not a lie. I kid you. I, I kid you not, this actually happened. He came back and he put in every kid's bag a can of Vienna sausages. <laughs> trick or treat. Uh, I don't know if that's the trick or the treat, but uh, that has nothing to do with my sermon. It's a fun story. So you don't just go enter, right? When you, if you're going to enter a house, that means that you have been invited into that place. He says, if you're invited in, that means you've built some relationship. There's some rapport there. If you've been invited in, speak peace to that place. In other words, be an agent of peace, an agent of shalom. Jesus is a Jew. He's speaking to Jews here. And the idea of peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's, it's the presence of God. It's completeness. It's wholeness. It's, it's uh, restoration. So be an agent of peace wherever you go, whatever house you enter, like Jesus. You, you know... Um, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He didn't call himself that. That was what the religious people said of him. Because he was so kind and so gracious with the people that they would deem people we don't hang around, right? Jesus, you got the wrong kind of friends. Well, no, he, he received them. He warmly welcomed sinners. He would eat with them, recline at table, right? Share meals with them. And as Jesus received sinners, guess what they did? The, the scriptures will tell us that they drew near to him. In other words, they grew in relationship. They grew to trust him. There was something in the kindness and the character of Jesus that made those kinds of people want to be around him. They were, they were, there was a, a magnetism to the character and, and, and the practice of Jesus that, that drew these least likely people to enter the kingdom into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, in our day and age right now, our, our Christians, do Christians tend to be known for our kindness and grace and hospitality or, or more for what we're for or what we're against. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Is there, is there anything in your character? Is there anything in your, the way you... Tr- live your life among neighbors, coworkers, friends that would draw them into relationship or are you more of a repellent? Would those people say you're known more for what you're for than what you're against? 
We're to be a peaceful presence. He says, if you find a, a son of peace, a person of peace, um, that then invest in that relationship. If, if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Here's what he means. Um, you're looking for people who are receptive, who are hospitable, who are receptive to you and also to spiritual things. And if there's openness, invest there. And if there's not, move on. You know, there may be people who, I mean, I'm just speaking in vast exaggerations here, so bear with me. You got somebody, you, you know, you work with who's a staunch militant atheist, and they're like, they would love to debate you every day of the week about the validity of Jesus and all that. And you're like, want to engage there, a hard place, a hard person. And maybe in the next cubicle over, there's this lonely person who's suffering through a divorce and is really tender and open to the things of God and, and, and what God might be up to in their life. And you're like, hey, hold on a minute. I got to debate this guy, you know? Like, where's their receptivity? Are, are, you, are you open up to someone about Jesus and they just sort of shut you down, but then there's someone else right around the corner who's like, oh, I'd love to talk to you about that. I've, I'd love to hear what you believe. I'd love to read the Bible with you, you know? Is there, is there a, a person of peace there who's receptive to you and to spiritual things? If so, invest there. Low-hanging fruit, right? Um, who in your life right now, if you, if you asked him, if you invited him to church, would, would be more likely to say yes? Who in your life right now, uh, again, work, neighborhood, family, friends, right? If you said, hey, would you, would you ever be interested in like reading I don't know, like through the Gospels or something? Who, who would be more likely to respond positively to that? And who negatively? Maybe you invest your time with those who are more open, more receptive. And so we go wherever he leads. We, we, we see the everyday stuff of life as divine assignment, right? So maybe you live in an apartment complex or a, or a neighborhood. Maybe you, you, um, you're a regular somewhere, a gym or a coffee shop or a pub. Maybe you, you, go, uh, you go to a school, you work at a school, or you uh, or, or you attend a school. Maybe you, you got a job. You go somewhere every day. Maybe you live around people. For many of us, it starts in our home, right? We go two by two, right? Discipling, uh, praying for, engaging our children in conversation. They're our mission field, right? Some of you, a little bit more mission than others, but uh, it's a, I'm just kidding. It's a mission field, right? You're, you're pouring yourself into the receptivity of your children, there are people that I interact with on a regular basis, and I'm not trying to say, like, do what I do, but I, I want you to know I do this, right? I'm, I'm, lear I'm learning, I'm growing like you, but um, I interact with people all the time who are not followers of Jesus. I, I choose to go to the barbershop I go to because they're not believers, and it's a pretty good haircut. Um, I, I have neighbors who are not believers. I, uh, my kids play basketball, so I interact with parents who are not believers, and I just build relationship and look for receptivity, and some people are very closed off and there's no conversation, that's fine, move on. But there's some who are very open. And I've had, I, I've probably told you this before, but when I had this conversation recently, recently with my barber where um, uh, someone she knew was uh, maybe going through a separation or divorce or something. And, and we started talking about um, when I do weddings, I do pre-marriage counseling and why and how marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And 
And just the difference, you know, that, that Jesus makes in a marriage. And she was like, I've never thought of that before. I didn't even know that, right? And it's just little, little things, right, that are spiritual conversations that are leading her maybe to think differently uh, about the whole world than normal. Is that making sense, right? Okay, it's, not, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Okay, so we go wherever we go because we're sent by Jesus. Now, I want to be clear. We're not saying that people are projects, okay? It's not like you got some Pokemon evangelism app and you got to catch them all, you know, and you're just going to like, got you, move on to the next one. That's not what we're saying. Um, we're not trying to get a badge. This is not some multi-level marketing scheme, okay? Um, but here's the reality. In Acts chapter 17, remember, we spent a whole year going through the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 17, um, Paul writes... He, remember, he's speaking to the, the, the people in Mars Hill in Athens, uh, these thought leaders of the day, and he says, my paraphrase, that God has determined the times and the places in which we will live so that some might feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Meaning that God has providentially crossed your path with another person's path or multiple people's paths in order to demonstrate something of the kingdom of God, right, in word and in deed, we're going to get to that in a minute, so that they might know something of who God is, so that they might find the Lord, that, that there are these providential divine assignments by which uh, your life intersects with someone else's life so that they can see what it means. They can see what they would be like if they became a Christian. And they can ask questions, and you can bounce ideas off, and, and they, they learn what it is to follow Jesus from you so that you might speak peace to them, so that they might draw near to you and therefore draw near to Jesus. Where has God sent you? To whom has he sent you? To be a faithful, peaceful presence. Okay, you guys with me so far? This side of the room is with me. You guys okay? We're good over here? Silent crowd. <clears throat> One second. All right, look at verse 8 with me. We're going to wrap this thing up. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Look at verse 16 as well with me. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. The one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Okay, so fruitful presence. What does it mean to be a fruitful presence in the world? He says, I'm sending you into all kinds of towns and villages and cities. And what kind of towns are they largely in context? Samaritan cities, Samaritan towns, right? Jews and Samaritans do not get along. He's sending them in and he says, hey, whatever they put before you, eat it. Now the Samaritans, uh, they largely follow Jewish dietary law, but the Samaritans themselves were considered unclean by the Jews. So anything that they would have prepared would have been unclean, which means Jesus right here is breaking down walls. He's doing that Ephesians 2 work right now, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility, not just between Jew and Gentile, but between Jew and Samaritan. Which means Jesus might send you into uncomfortable places. 
He might send you into some uncomfortable relationships with people who are really not like you. People you never thought you would be in relationship with or interacting with. Places in our town or, or in this world that you never thought you would go, you're going to find yourself there. And what are you to do when you get there? He says two things, heal and proclaim. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, um, it does appear in Luke 10 that Jesus did supernaturally empower these people for a specific act of healing. They come back later and they report to Jesus that even the demons, you know, submitted to them. So they had power given to Jesus to heal, to set free, to cast out demonic activity. And I'll leave that up to you, whether you decide if that's still in existence for our day or not. But here's what I do know. All of us are called in some way to help bring healing to the people in the places that God has called us to. And I know that because like on the next page, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what happens in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, there's this guy who didn't go two by two, probably why he ends up beaten up in the road. And uh, he's there and a religious guy passes him by. That's a funny joke. Y'all didn't get it. A guy passes him by and another guy passes him by and finally a Samaritan. Oh no, not a Samaritan. Yeah, Samaritan shows up. And what's he do? He wraps up his wounds. He anoints him with oil. He puts him on his horse. He, send, he brings him to the, uh, to the tavern or whatever, the, the hotel and, and pays for his way. And he helps bring him healing. And, and there's nothing supernatural about the Samaritan's work to bring healing to that man. But there's a whole lot of Jesus in that in there. See? Okay, so, so all of us are called in some way into helping bring healing to the places that Jesus has sent us. And, and there's all kinds of ways that we seek healing. Um, that's why, like, okay, so sometimes I hear people just randomly say, like, our, our church doesn't do anything in the city. And I'm like, y'all don't have any idea how much stuff happens. Because mostly it's two by two, right? We don't, it's not huge programs. We're all going to wear the same color t-shirt and go out on the same day so we feel good about ourselves. And then we go do it the next year the same way. And there's, it's fine if your church wants to do that. It's not us. But here, we partner with Peak Academy right down the street. You know why? They're a public charter school, but they exist to bridge that um, achievement gap between lower income, largely minority students, and their upper income white counterparts. And that's a good healing work. So we want to get behind that. We, that's why we partner with ABCCM. That's why we uh, partner with Fostering Hopes, which now H3. Alex can tell you more about that if you see him after the gathering. Coming alongside foster families, right? That's why some of you have, have joined in to help uh, that transitional process for refugees who are coming into this city. That's why we partner with Compassion International and Flint Global and, and some of these uh, worldwide organizations because they are participating in the, the, the reweaving, if you will, of shalom in this world. Bringing healing and restoration and hope to people. And so it doesn't always have to be church-wide or even church-sponsored things. God's given you eyeballs. He's given you a heart. What do you see out there? Where are the areas of brokenness in, in our city or in the world that grieve you, that you think to yourself, somebody ought to do something about that? Well, maybe God put that burden on your heart because he wants you to do something about it. So when people say the church doesn't do anything, I go, what are you doing? Because <laughs> guess what? You're the church. <laughs> God's given you the ability to see brokenness and suffering and, 
enslavement to sin in Ephesians 2 reminds us that um, he has saved us all and called us into good works that he's prepared beforehand. But that's not all. It's not just works of healing. Look, look at what he says here. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. So there's a healing and a proclaiming. Paul says later in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, there's a ministry of reconciliation, which comes with a message of reconciliation. It's one of the most compassionate things that we can do for the people in our relationships and in our world is to proclaim to them that the kingdom of God has come near. What does that look like? Well, Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene. Some of the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the time is at hand, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Like right out of the gate, that's Jesus' words, right? Repent, believe. Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Jesus is preaching in a home, okay? Uh, there's, everyone's kind of crowded in the home, and then uh, suddenly they have an unwanted skylight, uh, and, and then Mission Impossible style, this paralytic is like, like lo- lowered down into the home. And, um, and Jesus says to this man who's obviously paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. To which I have to think the paralyzed man would say, thanks, not what I came for. <laughs> right? I don't know if you noticed. And so Jesus is saying to him, yeah, yeah, I see that you need healing, but actually you have a deeper need. You have a deeper need of forgiveness. And he does heal him, and he does walk. He walks home, okay? But, so it's both and, not either or. Healing and proclaiming. If a church is unwilling to meet the real felt needs of people in a place, why should they ever listen to our message? But if a church is unwilling to share the life transformational message of the gospel, then are we ultimately loving them and meeting their deepest need? Is it awkward? Maybe. Is it necessary? Absolutely. Will there be fruit? For sure. Because the harvest is plentiful which means there are people outside these walls who are more ready and willing to receive the grace of Christ and the gospel than there are people willing to go share it. Does that mean everyone's going to respond positively? Absolutely not. He says here, some are going to reject you. They're going to reject this message. And if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And if they reject me, they're rejecting the Father who sent me. But at the end of the day, Our task is to simply bear witness that the kingdom of God is here. We do that in acts of service and healing and in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Now, to do that, you don't need the gift of evangelism. Now, there is a gift of evangelism. Some people are naturally wired to do that. Um, But the reality is all of us evangelize all the time. When's the last time you recommended a favorite restaurant or movie or TV show? right? We evangelize all the time. It's just about stupid stuff that doesn't matter. So, so what if we took some of that energy and put it towards actually sharing the hope of Jesus, who is the hope of the world? 
And maybe you can't explain the whole message of the gospel in detail. Like you can't be like, okay, God created everything and it was good. And then we broke it because of our sin. And then Jesus came and he repaired that. And then he sends us and he's going to bring restoration to the whole world. And by repentance and faith, we can believe in him. Like maybe you can't do that, but can you talk about your experience? What Jesus has done for you. John 9, another one of my favorite passages. Uh, Here's a blind man. Jesus heals him of his blindness. Um, And then the religious leaders are like, okay, this guy was blind. Now he can see, hey, what happened to you? And he goes, "Um, I was blind and now I can see. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what happened to you? I was blind and now I can see. And they're like, where, where did Jesus go? So I was blind and now I can see. And they ask him so many times that eventually the guy's like, hey, do you guys want to believe also? Is that why you keep asking me? He just shares what happened to him, right? I, so some of you are like, I don't know if I have a testimony because I grew up in the church. I was, you know, whatever, came to faith in Iwanas at five and was baptized at six. And I never went crazy or anything like that. And I'm like, that's actually a pretty awesome testimony to be, right? Like anyone who has the, like, I was a meth addict, ax murderer who came to Jesus would not, they would gladly trade testimonies with you. Like, they want yours. But maybe, like, okay, my story is, I was a pretty good kid, didn't get in trouble, was pretty smart, did whatever, but I was full of pride, super self-righteous, right? Judged other people, mastered by lust, and God saved me. And all those things are a work in progress still, <laughs> right? But he's brought some humility, he's brought some ability to, look at other people instead of myself. He's giving me self, right? So like, there's a work that's happened that I can't explain. God did it. So you don't have to shoehorn the gospel into conversations. You just ask a lot of questions. And maybe there's opportunities. Like when I talked about marriage with my barber, when I've talked to my neighbor about parenting or about work and rest and just share the gospel perspective on those things causes them to think. We have conversations. Simple, not easy. My time's up, so let me just wrap up with this. Um, As a church, we are called together to glorify God, empowered by the Spirit of God together to know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Jesus for us. We are called to love one another as Christ loved us to the degree that it's obvious to the watching world that Jesus is among us and that we are sent out to seek healing and peace of people and places that we go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so that others might receive his grace also. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Are we willing to labor for the sake of our king so that others would come into the fold, come into the harvest and be made children of God? I don't have any questions to put up on the screen for you this morning. I really want you to just sit in what we talked about and if there's something that stood out to you, maybe maybe the thing to do in our time of silence here is just to, to pray and ask the Lord, have you sent me somewhere and I missed it? Is there somewhere or someone you're sending me to? 
Like, I want to be open-handed, Lord. I want to go where you lead me, and so help me understand. Is, are there works of healing that I can participate in, or is there someone who needs the message of the gospel that I can speak it to? Where, where are you sending me? What would you have for me? Um, I'm going to pray for you. We'll have a moment of silence, and then I'll invite you to communion. And uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to come to these tables where we remember that Jesus was sent for us, right? He came. He lived a life we couldn't. He died the death we deserve. He rose again so that we could be welcomed into his family. And so when we come to these tables, there's no magic that happens in these elements, but one of the things that happens when we come to these tables is we're not only reminded of the, of the gospel, but we're we're given strength. There's, a, there's spiritual nourishment that happens as we participate in communion to go back out into the world as lambs among wolves. And so you can come to these tables, participate in communion. If you have a prayer request, if you are new and want to be known, you can fill out the connect card that's in the seat back there, put those in the giving boxes in the back, um, and then uh, the band's going to lead us in a couple songs before we get out of here. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for this word. I pray that it would not return void, but that you would do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think through it as the word of God by the spirit of God takes root in our hearts, that you would make us a people who embrace our sentness into this world um, joyfully for your glory and for the good of those you send us to. Uh, Lord, may we go dependent on you. May we go um, with peace with gentleness, with courage, as faithful servants of our Lord Jesus. And would you make us fruitful in season for your glory and for the joy of all people. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.